This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. In October 1964, millions of Americans turned on their televisions and saw something surprising. Thank you and good evening. It was Ronald Reagan, a TV host and actor they knew and loved, stumping for a politician, the Republican presidential candidate Barry Goldwater. Barry Goldwater has faith in us. Reagan stood behind a podium on a stage draped in bunting. He laid out his argument for Goldwater. The federal government was just too big. No government ever voluntarily reduces itself in size. So government programs once launched never disappear. Actually, a government bureau is the nearest thing to eternal life we'll ever see on this earth. Goldwater lost the 1964 election, but Reagan's rhetoric and his on-screen poise caught the attention of California's political elite, who asked him to run for governor. Watching Reagan's speech today, it's clear he's still getting his political sea legs. He's not quite sure which camera to look at, and he has to keep checking the speech he holds in his hands. But about halfway through, he just gets it. He locks eyes with the camera, and by extension the viewer, and it's magnetic. All his Hollywood training is being brought to bear on the world of politics. That speech launched Reagan's political career and put him on the path to the presidency. Four decades later, a very different politician took the stage at the Democratic National Convention. My parents shared not only an improbable love, they shared an abiding faith in the possibilities of this nation. He was Ronald Reagan's ideological opposite, but Barack Obama's path to the presidency also began with a single televised speech. They would give me an African name, Barack. It was a speech broadcast into millions of American homes. Believing that in a tolerant America, Your name is no barrier to success. Almost every American experiences the presidency through television. We watch the debates when presidential hopefuls spar on live TV. We watch the interviews from CNN to The View to The Daily Show. We watch the State of the Union. We even watch the president pardon a turkey year after year. Since the 1950s, American presidents have had to navigate life on the small screen, And no one did that better than Ronald Reagan and Barack Obama, who both navigated complicated and changing TV landscapes expertly, finding roots around the press and straight to voters' hearts, for good and for ill. From the Vox Media Podcast Network and Vox.com, this is Primetime, a show about the power of television and how it affects and reflects our culture. I'm your host, Todd Vanderwerf. This season, we're looking at the president on TV. So far, we've seen how TV has used the presidency to tell fictional stories and how those stories have influenced the way we see our leaders. Now we're shifting gears to look at how American presidents have used TV to further their political ambitions. And we're starting with the two TV masters, 
Presidents Reagan and Obama, skilled speakers who knew how to play to the cameras. We'll find out how they mastered the small screen and how they used that power for political capital. Ronald Reagan was a staunch anti-communist. That was one of the first issues that really brought him into politics. That's Professor Catherine Brownell. I'm an associate professor of history at Purdue University. In the 1950s, Reagan used his position as president of the Screen Actors Guild to speak out against communism. He even fed the government information on suspected communists in Hollywood. But his biggest concern may have been his wallet. He felt that he as an actor was overtaxed and that government was actually taxing individuals and corporations too much. So in the early 60s, Reagan started thinking about a career outside of Hollywood. Part of the reason that he succeeded in acting and in politics was because he was believable because he was authentic. Mark Weinberg was a press secretary, advisor, and speechwriter for Reagan. He was a good guy and a nice guy and somebody you wanted to root for. Reagan honed that persona on television and carried it into politics. Reagan crafted himself as a citizen politician. A citizen just like us, who happened to run for office. He would emphasize that he was not someone who wanted to become involved in politics, but the gravity of the situation compelled him to get involved. Uh, That he's not someone who has the traditional political pedigree, but that he was so passionate about the issues and that he needed to act. That's where his authority came from, because he could speak on behalf of the people. Reagan served for two terms as California governor but he soon set his sights on the White House. My first guest tonight is uh, rather a phenomenon on a political scene. In March 1975, Reagan sat down with late-night host Johnny Carson just a few months after he left the governor's mansion. Nice to be here, John. Nice of you to have me here after a little more than two months unemployment. That's right. Uh, How does it feel to be, uh, well, you're not really unemployed now because I know you're... Reagan faced Carson most of the time, but when he had a point he really wanted to make, he looked right at the camera at us. He seemed trustworthy, reliable, friendly even. Here's Reagan speechwriter Mark Weinberg again. Reagan was a natural. Well, balancing the budget is like protecting your virtue. You have to learn to say no. (laughs) He knew how to look into a camera without the eye dart of a nervous performer. He knew how to sit up straight. He understood a voice level. Reagan also knew who his real audience was. He also understood that when you attended an event, that as important as the three or 400 people in the room were, really the television cameras at the back of the room were the vehicle through which the majority of the American people would hear the message. Reagan also understood the power of a good story. And he understood the kinds of stories that worked on TV. One of the things that you see very clearly if you watch any television speech is the way in which he's able to construct a really effective narrative. During his first presidential campaign, Reagan and his team came up with a story, one that would become a pervasive trope in conservative politics about the pitfalls of the welfare state. In Chicago, they found a woman who holds the record. She used 80 names, 30 addresses, 15 telephone numbers to collect food stamps, Social Security, veterans' benefits for four non-existent deceased veterans' husbands, as well as welfare. Her tax-free cash income alone has been running $150,000 a year. 
And this is part of Reagan's strength. Uh, he used very compelling, easy to understand stories, and every speech had a clear narrative arc. Reagan lost the nomination to President Ford in 1976. But four years later, the welfare queen narrative, amplified by TV, resonated with a lot of Republican voters. Reagan is our projected winner, Ronald Wilson Reagan. And I give you my sacred oath that I will do my utmost to justify your faith. In 1980, more than a quarter of Democrats defected to the GOP to vote for Reagan. Most of them were white, and a lot of them had come to believe the myth of the welfare queen, that the taxes paid by hardworking Americans financed lavish lifestyles for minorities who didn't want to work. Once Reagan took office, he slashed spending on welfare and food stamps in the middle of a recession, and he won re-election by a landslide in 1984. But even more importantly than the power of a good story— Reagan understood that TV loved a good soundbite. His presidency paralleled the rise of CNN, which launched in June of 1980, right in the heart of Reagan's successful campaign for the presidency. And in the cable news era, the soundbite was king. For example, in his second term, Reagan delivered his most iconic speech in West Berlin, he appealed to the president of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev. Now the Soviets themselves may, in a limited way, be coming to understand the importance of freedom. The speech included one of Reagan's most memorable lines. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. The line of Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall, was not a line that the State Department wanted to have in his speech. The diplomats there were horrified by what was considered such a bold statement to the leader of the then Soviet Union. And so they took it out of the draft. And then the speechwriters in the White House put it back in, and the State Department took it out, and they went back and forth. But at the end of the day, he knew it was his decision to make, and so he put it in. And it was pure Reagan. We all remember that line because it's the perfect TV soundbite. And that soundbite speaks to Reagan's strengths. He knew what would resonate with an audience, and he knew how to deliver his lines. His acting background probably helped, though his former speechwriter thinks Reagan's success had more to do with the president staying true to himself. Reagan's speeches were masterful because they were authentic and they were from the heart. Reagan learned the art of the small screen just as the technology was taking off in the 1950s. He perfected his style in Hollywood and then in the governor's mansion in Sacramento. That helped carry him all the way to the White House, and it helped him carry out his agenda in Washington. Reagan faced pushback from Democrats in Congress, but his skill on TV was always an asset in political battles. By the time President Obama took office, he faced a much stronger opposition— and a very different media landscape. How Obama used television and then looked beyond TV to rally his base after the break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
Welcome back to Primetime. Presidents Reagan and Obama were ideological opposites, but they both understood the power of television and how it could be used to bypass traditional media gatekeepers to talk directly to the public. Their not-so-secret weapon? Authenticity. The biggest thing that we want in a president is someone who knows themselves. David Litt is a former speechwriter for President Obama. He helped write a lot of the president's jokes, and he remembers this one time where he was presenting a joke to the president, a joke that the Senate was a lot like high school. President Obama read the joke. He's like, I don't really get it. And I was like, well, it needs like a valley girl accent. And then I said, you need to say it like, so I was talking to Mitch, who was talking to Lindsay, who was talking to Ted, and they were all like talking. And President Obama looked at me and he was like, oh, well, you know, that'd be funny if a comedian did it. He had this sense of like, this is what makes me funny. This is what makes me cool. This is kind of me, but a little bit extra versus this is someone completely different. In other words, President Obama knew himself. That authenticity really came through on the small screen, like after the mass shooting in a Charleston church in 2015. (laughs) The president was on the plane and kind of said, well, you know, I might sing. You know, I might do it. There's this sense of, I'm going to see how the audience reacts, I'm going to see how the moment feels, and then I'm going to go with my gut. And that feel for the crowd is something that a lot of politicians do not have. If Reagan's tear down this wall moment was the perfect soundbite, then Obama singing Amazing Grace was the perfect viral video. No matter what you thought of the president, you had to see this. The media landscape of the Reagan era looked pretty quaint by the time Barack Obama was in office. Reagan had CNN, but he didn't have Fox News or MSNBC or YouTube or social media. TV wasn't just on TV anymore. TV was on laptops and phones and, eventually, tablets. And that gave the president even more opportunities to bypass the press and speak directly to voters. My question for you is what are you doing to fix this? Like in 2014, when he did a Google Hangout with a bunch of constituents answering questions about everything from terrorism to healthcare. Well, Rebecca, first of all, uh, it sounds like you were in the individual market, so you already had some sort of insurance plan. Uh, Maybe the most famous example of Obama using new media was when he joined comedian Zach Galifianakis on his online talk show parody, Between Two Ferns. Okay, let's get this out of the way. What did you come here to plug? Well, first of all, uh, I think it's fair to say that uh, I wouldn't be with you here today if I didn't have something to plug. Have you heard of the Affordable Care Act? Obama wanted to get the word out to young voters that they could benefit from the ACA. And in the first day alone, the video with Zach Galifianakis had 10 million views. Why would you get the guy that created the Zune to make your website? Healthcare.gov works great now. Obama and his team read the pop culture landscape. They used that and the president's ability to connect with an audience to push a political message. When you do something with the president that is not a traditional press conference or interview, the press still has to treat it like news. It's still news. But the Google Hangouts and parody interviews that allowed President Obama to reach his constituents directly also allowed him to avoid the press, as this PBS NewsHour report noted. Well, I think the president is accomplishing reaching around the press corps to actually talk to voters and voters who may not answer or ask questions that the regular press would. 
Some journalists think Obama set a dangerous precedent and that we're living with the consequences now in the Trump era. And David Litt thinks the press still hasn't figured out how to catch up. The White House press corps is trying to figure out how to adapt to that new landscape. We're living in a world where the next president, Republican or Democrat, is just going to have more ways to say, I'm not only going around you, but your rules say you have to cover me while I do it. Both Obama and Reagan understood that with TV and all the other screens in our lives these days, they could go around the press. You could bring your message to Johnny Carson or Zach Galifianakis instead of a traditional reporter. And if you had the perfect soundbite or viral moment, your message would lodge more firmly in voters' minds than if you had sat down for an interview. And both presidents also understood that on screen, they were playing TV characters. They were heightened versions of themselves. The more authentic and entertaining the president seems on screen, the more likely we are to want to watch more of his show. He doesn't get Nielsen ratings, but we do vote on whether to pick him up for another season. And the danger of a great TV president comes in how easy it is to forget that he's not just the guy we see on TV. He wields immense power, no matter how folksy or funny he seems, on Carson or Conan or Between Two Ferns. But the last 13 presidents have all had to deal with TV in one way or another. You don't have Nixon to kick around anymore. Next up on Primetime, the first TV president and possibly the last. 75% of those people are downright dishonest. Downright dishonest. They're fake. We'll be back for our season finale next week. Primetime is produced by Bridget Armstrong, we're edited by Isaac Kestenbaum. Mixing and scoring by Gotham Shrikishan. Theme music by Brandon McFarland. Thanks to Rebel Talk Studios and our engineer, Ernesto Hurtado. Our researcher is Michelle Delgado. Our social media manager is Lexi Shapittle. Nishat Kurwa is the executive producer of the Vox Media Podcast Network. And Jillian Weinberger is the senior producer of audio at Vox. Special thanks to Eleanor Barkhorn, Allison Rocky, and Jen Trollio. I'm your host, Todd Vanderwerf. Thanks for listening. <laughs>